Hey, we're going to get into the Word. We're going to go to Acts chapter 12. And uh, this is the story that we're going to draw from today. Love this story. Story of a great miracle. Uh, And it starts like this in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. There's 16 soldiers guarding Peter. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, quickly get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel, uh, the angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought that he was seeing a vision. In Acts 10, Peter actually sees quite a vivid vision. And in this case, he's actually not sure whether this is a vision or if this is reality. Uh, Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by itself and they went through it. Uh, When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance and a servant named Rhonda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter outside by himself, trying to like get into the house, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord brought him out of prison. What a crazy story full of kind of ups and downs. Peter's in prison. Peter's not sure if he's having a vision of what's happening is reality. And then he gets to the house and they won't let him in. And even though they're in a prayer meeting about him, trying to like get him out of prison, crazy. The, the emotions that are going on in this story. Uh, t- today, I want to preach a message titled this, Prayer Precedes Miracles. Prayer Precedes Miracles. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it's there to encourage us, to challenge us, uh, to inspire us to live this kingdom life that you've called us to live. 
And our Lord, we just pray, Father, that we would leave this place better knowing your heart, better becoming more like Jesus. And I pray today, Father, that we would hear your voice. Holy Spirit, we just say that you are welcome in this place today. We just invite you in, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to our hearts, to come and move how only you can move. Lord, we just pray that, uh, yeah, God, that you would move in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be launching a new series today. Uh, It's called House of Freedom. We're going to be speaking on this subject for a few weeks. And uh, as we always do, we're going to dive into God's Word and we're going to unpack how, you know, how we're called to be a house of freedom. But we don't just want this to be a series where we go into the Word. We also want this series to be an impartation. We want to encounter the freedom that can only be found in Jesus. That There is a freedom. There is a healing. There is a deliverance that can't just be found in human ways. That There is a deliverance. There is a freedom that can only be found in Jesus. And so as we do this series, we're believing for an impartation of God's presence, God's power, and God's deliverance in our house. But also, we want this series to be a declaration that this house will, will be and would be known as a house of of freedom. We want this church, we want this place, we want this room to be a place where God's freedom dwells. Here's the reason why. Over the last couple of weeks, Esther and I have heard quite clearly from God through prayer and also through a prophetic word that uh, we received that God has actually called this church to be a house of freedom. That this place would be a place where people come in with whatever they're carrying. Maybe people are in captivity Maybe people are suffering some sort of oppression. Maybe people are needing a healing physically, maybe emotionally in their inner life, in their heart, maybe in their mind. Maybe people need deliverance spiritually. That We're believing that they would receive their healing in this church, that this would be a place where people would be healed, delivered, set free in Jesus' name. You know, that when people walk in, whether they're believers or not, that they would walk in and sense that there is freedom in this place, that there's something different, that when I walk into this place, I get this sense that there's freedom. You know, they might be walking in, carrying all sorts of weight, uh, burdens, hurts, and pains. But our heart is that we would believe in Jesus' name, that they would bring that in and it would stay here and they would leave changed in Jesus' name. They would walk in with the weight, walk in with the burden, walk in with the pain, but they would leave free in Jesus' name, that this place would be a house of freedom. Maybe some people are weighed down by their sin. Maybe present sin. Maybe people are weighed down by the sin that they're going through in their life. And maybe it's something that they want to change in their hearts and in their lives. Maybe people are carrying past sins still. that They feel that weight. They feel that burden that they're carrying things that they did from so long ago. Whether it's past sin or whether it's present sin, we want to preach in this house that Jesus can save that Jesus can forgive, that there's grace and there's mercy available. Maybe that's what someone needs. And we believe that this would be the place where people would encounter that freedom. Maybe people are walking in and and they're carrying a worldly weight instead of living in the promise of the kingdom. Matthew 11 says, Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who are burdened and weary, and I'll give you rest. 
Jesus says that there is a burden of the world that is placed on you from birth. That, that no, matter what, no matter what you do in life, there will be some sort of burden that the world would like to place on you because of this broken world that we live in. But Jesus says, hey, if you were to give that to me, you don't need to carry that anymore. I want you to live in my rest, live in my peace. Maybe people might literally come into this place with demonic strongholds. Maybe there might be something in their life that they can't explain, they can't articulate, but wherever they go, darkness follows them. Darkness kind of is, is in their home, it's in their life, it's in, it's in their work. They can't really describe it. Maybe there might be an open door in their life that they might not even be aware, aware of. But when they come into this church, when they come into this house of freedom, They'll be delivered in Jesus' name. You're with me this morning. Be a place of freedom. Be a place of deliverance in Jesus' name. Maybe for some people, it's not a weight, but it's a dry religion that they're carrying. Maybe it's just that to them, God is just someone that they they meet on Sunday. They just kind of tick the box, but there's nothing active. There's nothing happening during the week. We want to set people free. We want to set people alight in Jesus' name, that we live that life of power, but in the freedom of Jesus, that in this house, all will be healed, all will be loosed, all will be delivered in Jesus' name. And here's the thing, if we want to declare that we want to be a house of freedom, the kingdom of darkness is not going to be happy with that. It's actually going to be quite the opposite. It might respond in a way that's actually displeased that we're going after this, that we're going after freedom. And if we're going to be a house of freedom, I've got to be honest, church, it might get messy at times. The Holy Spirit might disrupt our service. And I want to let you know that Esther and I, we're okay with that. We're okay with things getting messy. We're okay with things maybe at times where someone might be delivered, someone might be set free. Last week we saw people healed and set free by the power of God, falling over in the power of God. This is not something that we're afraid of. This is something that we want to embrace. We want to embrace the power of God. We want to embrace the Holy Spirit in this place. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the freedom. And so here's the thing. I want us to be a church that are okay with messy as long as it leads to freedom. That we don't do messy for messy's sake. That we don't strive and try and squeeze out something that God's not doing that day. But if it gets messy, we'd be a church that's okay with it because we know that it's leading to someone's freedom. That it's leading to someone's deliverance in Jesus' name. You with me, church? So the key and foundational verse for this series is one that I shared last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Now the Lord is spirit. Okay, God's not flesh. He came in flesh as a man, but he was both divine and human at the same time. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's not flesh. The Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in Jesus' name. I love this verse. What an incredible promise that wherever the Spirit of God is, not that there might be, but there is freedom in that place. We spoke about last week how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you carry the Holy Spirit, you have freedom available to you. In this church, in this house, we, we want the Holy Spirit to descend in this place. Whether we're in this building, maybe next year or in the f- next few months, we're in another building. We want to declare that wherever we meet, wherever we meet as the body of Christ, freedom would be present in that place in Jesus' name. 
And so what this verse leads us to believe is this, that if we want freedom, we need to invite the Holy Spirit. We don't need another self-help book to deliver us from something that only God can deliver us from. We don't need to try top 10 tips on how to live your best Western life. We need the Holy Spirit present, alive, and active in our life if we want to see freedom in Jesus' name. True freedom comes from the heart of God. True freedom comes from His presence being filled in our life. So with that in mind, over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at four ways that we can invite the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we would see freedom in Jesus' name, so that this house will be known as and will become a house of freedom. Church, it's my heart that when you hear someone going through something, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, that you could say, you know what, I actually have a solution for you. Come to my house, come to my church, and I believe that my house will actually bring freedom to that situation, freedom to that circumstance that you're going through, that this place would be a house of freedom in Jesus' name. So going back to the story that we read earlier, an amazing story of how Peter is placed in prison, in captivity, not freedom, obviously the complete opposite of freedom, but miraculously, he left the prison, even though there were 16 people watching him, even though he was chained either side, left and right, by two people, even though there was, as we read, there were several steps that they actually had to go through. They had to go through this gate and then that gate. And, and, and even though there's, I don't, I don't know, I can't even explain how it happened. It's just a divine miracle of God that Peter was led by this angel out and into freedom. But here's the thing. The most important verse in this story isn't the miracle itself. It's actually what preceded the miracle is what is the most important verse in this story. Verse 4 says, After arresting him, he put him in the prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This is the most important verse in this story. The first five verses of chapter 12 are building the context to the story. And verse 5 says, But the church was earnestly praying for Peter, And then verse 6, it goes into the story. And so Luke, when he's writing the book of Acts, he's wanting to make a point. The reason that this story turned around, the reason that this story didn't end in death was because the church were praying for Peter, was because the church were behind Peter. because even though Peter was in prison, there, there was a church that was behind him that was praying for him in Jesus' name. It was the prayer lifted up by the church that touched the heart of God, that God sent the angel to see Peter delivered in Jesus' name. Church, I'm here to tell you today, if you need a miracle, if you need a deliverance in your life, if you need something, if something is not free in your heart, something's not free in your life, prayer always precedes the miracle. Prayer always precedes the miracle. Look at this for a second. I did a study this week of the book of Acts. Acts 1, the disciples, they devoted themselves to prayer while waiting for the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, they were praying when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. The miracle of the Holy Spirit being released, not just to them, but then released through them to the nations of the world. It started in prayer. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, 
were on their way to the daily prayer meeting when they healed the crippled man, which shows us that Peter and John had a, had a, had a, um, had a schedule, a, a, a devotion to prayer every day. But while they were on their way to the prayer meeting, they released a healing in someone's life. Acts chapter 4, after the disciples and apostles were arrested and beaten, the believers prayed for boldness. They actually didn't cower back. They said, God, even though we've been beaten, even though we've been stricken, even though we've been arrested, God, give us boldness to keep preaching your message. Give us boldness to keep proclaiming that Christ came and he died and he rose again and that salvation is available to everyone. And the Bible says the place where they were shook and they were all filled again in the Holy Spirit. The miracle of being filled with boldness was preceded by prayer. Acts chapter 5, many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. So much so, the Bible says that Peter's shadow was healing people. The people were bringing people to Peter. And as he's walking by, people are being delivered. People are being set free. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Why? Because Peter had a lifestyle of prayer because Peter had a, a heart after God that would seek God that would pray. Acts chapter 6, the apostles committed themselves to the word and to prayer. The context of this story is that at that time, the church, they were actually dis, uh, distributing all the food that the community of God were eating. The Bible says that no, no one counted anything as their own, which is the complete opposite of our Western context. Everything's mine. Don't take what's mine. Don't come to my house. It's mine. It's my space. The complete opposite here in the Bible. They counted nothing as their own. Those who were rich were selling their land, selling their possessions and giving it to the poor. And so that literally there was a daily distribution of food. It's absolutely incredible. And anyway, that, uh, after this has been going on for a little bit, obviously people are people and there's a bit of conflict going on. And the Hellenists, which were the Greeks at the time, they were complaining that they weren't getting equal food. And the disciples, the apostles said, okay, we can't get bogged down in this issue. We actually need to release some people to sort this out so we can focus on prayer and focus on the word. And then it says this at the end of that story. The disciples multiplied greatly because of the apostles' devotion to the word and to prayer. You know, maybe for us in our lives, we're so busy and we're wondering why the power of God's not moving in our life, wondering why the voice of God's not moving in our life. It could be because we're busy with things that we shouldn't be busy with instead of being busy with prayer and being busy with the word of God. I'm so glad that the apostles didn't get bogged down in an issue, a very real issue. A very real circumstance. People needed to have their equal share as they had set it up back then. But they were like, okay, we're not, we, we need to be devoted to prayer. We need to be devoted to the words so that people can keep hearing the message. Let's release others so that others can hear the message of Jesus. Acts 10, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. The reason that you're sitting in church today could all be traced back to this one man in this moment right now. For, for many of us, I don't know your family history, but I'm assuming that you haven't got a Jewish lineage, but your lineage in Christ actually goes back to this man right here. And the Bible says that even though he wasn't Jewish, he was a praying man. He prayed to God and he gave to the poor. And so God spoke to him to send for someone called Peter, ring a bell. And then Peter 
gets that vision that I was talking about earlier, that there's a Gentile that you need to go to. And it was this amazing miracle. Peter goes there, releases the gospel. Holy Spirit's like, Peter, stop talking. You're talking too long. And starts moving as Peter's preaching. Holy Spirit doesn't wait for the altar call. He just like moves while Peter's preaching. And Peter says, here it is. The day that we've been waiting for, that not God would not just be limited to the Jewish nation, but that God would be released on all people. What's the foundation? What preceded this miracle? Cornelius, a praying man, and Peter, also a praying man, hearing the voice of God. The verse literally says that before Peter got the vision, he went up to go and pray, and then he received the vision to be used by God. Acts chapter 12, this is the uh, story that we're covering right now. Earnest prayer of the church for Peter. Acts 13, Saul, who was then later to become Paul, and Barnabas were set apart while they were praying and fasting. The context here is that Saul and Paul were in Antioch and they were there for a year, faithfully ministering, faithfully converting Jews, converting uh, Greeks uh, to, to the gospel. And then after a year, while they were just kind of in their rotation of normal prayer and normal fasting, the Holy Spirit said, okay, now it's time for you to go. They were sent because of their prayer life. They were sent in that space. In Acts 16, prayer preceded Paul and Silas's miracle escape of prison. This is the story that we covered last week. And the jailer was set free because of their faithfulness that even while in prison, we're still going to pray. We're still going to worship God and see amazing things in our life. All of that to say this again, prayer precedes every miracle. If you need a miracle, it's time to start praying. If you need a deliverance, it's time to start praying. It's, it's not going to come unless you pray. It's, it, the miracle won't happen clearly through here in Scripture. Miracles come when God's people start to pray. Deliverances start happening when God's people start to pray. When we pray, God hears and God starts to move in our life. And so if we want to be a house of freedom, we must first be a house of prayer. If our heart's desire is that this place would be a house of freedom, we first must be a house of prayer. A house of freedom is first a house of prayer. Because here's the thing with this. When the church doesn't pray, the church forgets its origins. When the church isn't praying, when you as a, as a member of the body in Christ, when you're not praying, you're actually forgetting that the church was birthed in prayer on the day of Pentecost. When the church doesn't pray, it forgets its origins. When the church doesn't pray, the church isn't fulfilling its purpose. Jesus walks into Jerusalem and, he's, and he's, he's upset with how the church is running. And he says this in Matthew 21. He said to them, it is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. The, the, the name that Jesus wants for his house is that it would be a house of prayer. That it fulfills its purpose when its people are praying. When the church doesn't pray, the church isn't submitted to God. The church is just doing things how man thinks the church should be run. When the church isn't praying, when, when, and I'm preaching to myself today, when the lead pastor, when the leaders, when the congregation is not praying, the church is not submitted to God because they're not hearing the voice of God. They're not hearing the direction of God. And as we read the book of Acts, we see that they were completely devoted to the voice of God. They went where the voice of God told them to go. They did what the voice of God told them to do, even when it meant persecution. 
even when it meant prison, they were submitted wholly to the message of Jesus. Why? Because they were praying people. When the church doesn't pray, it's not connected to God. It's, it's not connected to that life source. We did a series a few months ago uh, called uh, uh, that whole idea of us being abiding in the vine. And Jesus pre-warned the disciples saying, I'm going to go. You can't physically hang out with me anymore. And so you need to remain in me. And one of the ways we remain in God is we pray. We've got to remember that we're not the vine, but we're the branch of the vine. And if we're not praying, we're disconnected. And there's no life source to Jesus. When the church doesn't pray, lastly, the church lacks power. When the church isn't praying, all it is is just a service. If the church isn't believing and faithfully asking for God to move, it's going to make no difference to this community. The church, as we see in the book of Acts, needs the power of God in order for it to grow, in order for it to reach people who don't know Jesus. We cannot do this in our own strength. The church needs the power of God. And as I've been saying this morning, all miracles are preceded by prayer. Again, I say, if we want to be a house of freedom, we first must become a house of prayer. And as I bring this to a finish this morning, I just want to uh, make three observations from the story that we read before of Peter's miraculous uh, deliverance from prison. The first one is this. Number one, Peter was part of a praying church. Peter was part of a praying community. Can you, um, just, just for a second, can you imagine the sense of relief and the sense of joy? One, when the believers finally opened the door for Peter, he's like, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. Like, I've been like, he's probably looking over his shoulder, waiting for the, the army to kind of come after him. But can you imagine the relief and the joy that hit that room when they saw Peter face to face? We read in those verses, for a while they didn't believe it. They were like, no, no, no way. Even though we're praying, even though we're like, God, please deliver Peter. There's no way that he's at the front door. Like This stuff kind of doesn't happen. Can you imagine the sense of relief? Imagine the sense of joy. It, it would have been wild. Verse 17 actually kind of gives us a picture of how loud the room was. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet. He's like, hey, calm down, calm down. I know I'm here. I know I'm here. Just calm down, calm down. And then the, the verse goes on to say that he explained how he got delivered. I'm sure they were pretty excited when Peter rocked up at the door. Here's the truth, church. Everyone needs to know that they belong to a church that will pray for them. Everyone needs to know that. Everyone needs to know that, that during their week, between their Monday and Saturday, that no matter what's happening in their life, that they are part of a community that is standing with them, that's praying for them. And I want to declare, come on, I said I wanted to declare this over our house and over our church, that we would be a community that prays for each other. The, the, the defining factor in this miracle, in this story, is verse 5. And the church, despite what was going on, the church prayed, and they earnestly prayed. Which leads me to my second point. The church prayed despite the circumstances. The church prayed for Peter despite the circumstances. Uh, at this time, in this moment, in this story, uh, the church was experiencing difficult times. They were experiencing persecution, Firstly, by the Jews. The Jews were not happy. So they did to Jesus. So they were doing to the apostles and to the believers. 
And now it's reaching another level. It's not just the Jews that are, are, are opposing the believers, but King Herod is starting to get in on the act. And he actually, right in this moment, James becomes the first of Jesus' disciples, the first of the 12 to become a martyr for the faith, the first one to be killed for his faith. This is the context in which we find this story. Let's read verse 1 again. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to uh, uh, to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So King Herod obviously sees a great opportunity for my leadership, great opportunity for my kingdom and, and my image. I'm going to arrest Peter as well. But verse five, And verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison. So here, this is not a high mountaintop moment of faith for the church. This is a time of mourning. This is a time of great depression. One of the brothers, one of the fathers of the church has just been murdered for his faith. It's not a mountaintop moment. It is one of the most ultimate valley moments for the church. But verse 5 says, But the church earnestly prayed for Peter. They prayed despite the circumstances. They prayed despite what was going on. Despite James was killed, despite even the fact that Peter was in prison, they could, the church could have been like, it's all over. This is it. It's the beginning of the end. No, they rose up in faith and said, you know what? We're going to pray despite the circumstance. Church, everyone needs to know that they are a part of a church that will pray despite the circumstances. That a church would pray for them despite what the doctor will tell you, despite the diagnosis, despite the family history, despite what's going on in your world, despite how toxic that workplace may be, despite how lost your, your son or your daughter might be, despite what's happened for many years, you need to know that you are a part of a church community that will pray despite the circumstances, that will rise up in faith and say, you know what, even though it looks like this, Even though the diagnosis is this, even though the history has been this, we're going to believe in faith and believe that God is going to bring a miracle, that God's going to bring a breakthrough in this situation. It may be impossible, but church, we're not called to look at things in the natural. We're called to see with eyes of faith and believe if God's done it before, that God can do it again in Jesus' name. Church, I'm just declaring today, and I hope that we would become this church that would pray with faith despite the diagnosis, despite what might be happening in someone's life. The third observation is this. The church prayed in homes. The church were praying in their homes. Now, here's the thing. Church can't just be a Sunday tick. I fulfilled my Jesus duty for this week. I fulfilled what I need to do to keep God happy, to, you know, all that sort of stuff. Church needs to go from the house of God on Sunday and it needs to go into our house during the week. And I know for some of us, that might bring with it a myriad of things. Maybe it might bring tension in a relationship or or tension in the workplace or, or, or whatever. But the truth is church just can't stay on a Sunday. It needs to be brought into our week. And if we want to be a house of freedom, then we've got to be a house of prayer before this house is a house of prayer our house our homes 
the place where we put our head on the pillow at night, they need to first become houses of prayer as well. And then we bring that faith to the house of God. Fourth observation, my last point this morning. God works miracles when His church prays. God works miracles. God does the miraculous when His church prays. When God's people pray, He hears and He moves. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story of how Solomon had finally built the temple of God, the place in the Old Covenant where God's Spirit would dwell. It was the only place where God's Spirit dwelt. Now, us, we understand that we're in the New Covenant because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we know the Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell in a physical place, but it dwells within the inside of us. Amen? And so as we read this next verse, let's keep that in mind, that we're now in the New Covenant. And it says this in 2 Chronicles, after Solomon's dedicated the house of the Lord to God, and God speaks to Solomon and says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive them their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Verse 15, with a new covenant understanding, is that God's eyes and God's ears have, uh, we have God's attention when the temple, when you begin to start and pray, begin to ask God, God moves miraculously when God's people start praying, when God's people start praying. Lastly, practically, how do we become a praying church? How do we become a house of prayer? Firstly, we need to have a personal revelation and a personal rededication to prayer and its power and its authority and what it can do in our hearts and in our lives. If we want to be a house of freedom, we need to be a house of prayer. But firstly, for us, on the individual level, we need to have our own personal revelation of what can happen when we start praying. And then also a rededication to prayer. That it wouldn't be the thing that we put to the side, the last resort, that it would be our first response when things arise. That there would be a discipline in our life that we spend time with God daily asking Him. You know, maybe right now, prayer is not something that you're doing every day. I'm not here to bring shame or condemnation. I'm here to bring encouragement and challenge from God today. And maybe if, you, if, if nothing's happening, maybe five minutes a day, it, it's better than nothing. And then as that grows in your life, it can go from five minutes to 10 minutes to half an hour. And this morning, I also don't want to preach a time limit. That's, 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 that's religion. What, what's, what's most important is that your heart is present in your prayer. That when you're praying, you're giving up your heart to God. How do we become a, a praying church? Secondly, we need to have a revelation that my voice matters, that my prayers matter. You know, if we, if we declare this today, that we'd be a house of God, but then we have those moments of prayer in our church and you're not lifting your voice, there's something missing in the body. There's something that's not there. There's something that's not present in that moment. And here's the thing, maybe you've believed in the past that, that prayer is 
the responsibility of, of the leader or, or the leaders in the church or it's for those who are the most holy or, or whatever. Here's the honest truth. If we want to be a house of prayer, we need to have this revelation that my prayer matters. That my prayers, when I bring them into the body, it forms a whole body. That when each of us bring our prayer, when each of us bring our faith, it all matters. It all matters to God. God sees it. God hears it. And when His church pray together, God moves miraculously in Jesus' name. On a real practical level, what does prayer look like in our church in this season? You know, we're obviously in our infancy here at Disciple House, but and we need to be wise with what we do. You know, we can't at the moment run 24-7 prayer towers and meetings and all that sort of stuff. But there are things that we can do that are sustainable, that are wise, but that are also full of faith that we can see God move miraculously. Firstly, as I've been challenging you today, church is not just the organization, it's the people. So how do we have prayer active in the life of our church? Firstly, it starts on a personal level that we would all commit to praying and lifting up our concerns, lifting up our worship to God. Secondly, we pray in our connects. That is the place where we pray as well. And I want to challenge you again, if you're not part of a house connect, can I encourage you? And if you have margin in your life right now, or maybe you need to make margin, become a part of community, not just on Sunday, but become a part of community during the week. At our Young Adults Connect group on our Tuesday night, we actually had quite a powerful moment in prayer. We worshiped God. We just whacked some Spotify on. We didn't have a band or anything like that, but our hearts were connected. Our hearts were hungry in that moment. And all of us would say in that moment, God's presence was in the room when we started praying for people, we started prophesying over people. It was an amazing time and it was in that community space that we were able to see prayer active in our church. Uh, again, on a practical level, we have prayer before every gathering. Here it starts at 9.45 before the service. And uh, this prayer meeting, my heart for it is that it's not just a, just a cute little, all right, God, now that we've set up, let's pray and hope that today goes well. I would love it to grow into something that, where we're, we're declaring, we're believing that even before 10 o'clock, before our service starts, that God would be moving in our prayer meeting, that God would be delivering. And so for you, maybe that, that's where you could take your next step in prayer in the life in our church. And of course, we pray in our gatherings. We, we always pray, we're always believing for God to move. And specifically in, in this moment that we've arrived to now, in the end of our service, at the end of the message, we always leave a moment for the Holy Spirit to move, to be active. And so with that in mind, why don't we stand to our feet this morning?